Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello! This is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. And each episode will be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I'm not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. The Relunchables has made it to the big leagues, folks. We are now supported by Simply Safe Home Security. This is a really momentous occasion for the podcast, and it couldn't have been possible without the support of all my listeners. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Next week, we're going to be joined by the writers of Horse Sense, Chad and Carrie Hayes. You guys are going to love this episode. These guys went from writing Horse Sense to some of the biggest horror films of our time, starting with House of Wax and ultimately The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. They're also writing the new Die Hard prequel movie. So these guys have really, from Disney Channel original movies to the biggest horror films to the biggest action blockbusters, I think this is an episode that everyone is going to enjoy. So stay tuned for that. On this episode, we'll be covering the 1999 Disney Channel original movie, Horse Sense. I love this movie. It really brings me back. I think this is the first movie I remember watching in the Disney Channel original movie library. And as someone growing up in South Florida, watching Los Angeles, which I had never been to at the time, watching this guy kind of really just embody LA culture and having to be forced to move to Montana was an amazing plot for the film. So I normally don't like to brag about the podcast, but we were recently featured as the number one place. Yes, that's right. The number one place to go for Disney Channel and Nickelodeon nostalgia by Screen Rant. And guess what? We are now joined by the writer of the article and countless others to help me break down horse sense, Allison McLean Merrill. If you are listening to this podcast right now, which I know you are because you can hear my voice, and can't get enough of the 90s, 2000s nostalgia, I guarantee you will love the articles that Allison has written. She is a tremendous writer and hopefully will continue to be a longtime friend of the Relunchables. So let's roll the trailer in that Disney Channel original movie, intro music, the Relunchables is packing up, leaving Los Angeles, and headed to Montana. Coming November 20th, what happens when you take this city guy out of the city? Nice boots. Can't play cowboy without him, right? Horse Sense, a new Disney Channel original movie featuring Joey and Andy Lawrence, coming November 20th on Disney. You know, I'm really missing a great photo up here. Disney Channel And we're rolling. Thank you, Allison, for joining me on the Relunchables podcast. You're welcome, Jordan. I'm excited to talk with you today about some horse sense. <laughs> for my listeners who don't know, I bring on a new guest each episode to recap their choice of Disney Channel original movies. So I'm curious, I know it was kind of a joint effort here, but what made you choose horse sense? Uh, well, at the time that we uh, first started discussing this, as I said, I had been on a Lawrence Brothers kick. So I <laughs> Within the course of about a week, I went through Horse Sense, Jumping Ship, The Other Me, Going to the Mat, 
So I felt like this was probably my favorite out of all of those. And it's just, a, it's a good era. So I wanted to dive in. Oh yeah. I think this is definitely like my favorite time of Disney Channel original movies, that 99, 2000 era. Uh, but a little behind the scenes here, usually I have a good friend from high school or college come on the podcast and break down these films with me. But I was pleasantly surprised when you reached out to me. And can you give my listeners a bit of a backstory on how you, how we met and kind of, you know, your background a little bit. I know, you know, you kind of specialize in nostalgia, you know, writing as a writer for Screen Rant in these decom era, 90s television and movies. So a little bit about your background. Absolutely. Well, I am um, a trained musician and I, uh, I've got a bit of a strange background <laughs> to have come to um, this specific thing, but I sort of took my interest in studying music and religion applied that to television studies and then realized how passionate I am about going back in time and saying um, some things that need to be said about these movies and shows from our childhood. So that's how I took that step. And now I'm just trying to listen and learn and read and write as much about it as I can. No, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that, uh, you know, this twist of fate brought us together, you know, this podcast, and I'm so happy to have you on. So let's get right into the movie here. A Horse Sense has a runtime of an hour and 32 minutes. It's directed by Greg Beeman, who I think we're going to cover all of Greg Beeman's work at some point on this podcast between Under Wraps, Brink, The Ultimate Christmas Present. I think he's directed all my favorites. And it's written by the Hayes brothers, Chad and Carrie Hayes, who are going to be coming on the podcast later this week. Horse Sense has a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb and a 59% from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Those are pretty good reviews for these DCOMs. Uh, it was released on Friday, November 20th, 1999. And I, I wonder, I'm going to get your opinion here. Do you think 99 was the best year for these movies? We had Johnny Tsunami, Xenon, Smart House, Genius, The 13th Year, and Horse Sense. It's tough to think of a better year. I don't know. I mean, it's close with 2000 and 2001 for sure. I'm going to have to think about that one. Maybe by the end, you'll have me swayed one way or the other. Yes, I'm determined to convince you on this one. And let's get into uh, our random internet review of the week. And this is from the username Ha Ha Ha, which, uh, you know, maybe this, maybe this review will make us laugh a little bit. And the review says, well, what do you expect from a Disney movie? Cheerlessness and over-the-top heartwarming moments. But Joey Lawrence is nice to look at at least. Is that a fair review? That's fair. <laughs> so let's get right into the categories here. And I'm going to turn it to you now. How would you describe the plot of Horse Sense? Just a rough outline in under a minute. Sure. So Horse Sense centers on these two cousins, Michael and Tommy, and they're very different. Um, Tommy is going out to California to the LA area, visit his uh, rich cousin, Michael. And it um, looks like it's going to be pretty good, but we quickly realize that Michael is a spoiled brat, and he doesn't make any time for his little cousin. So we get this uh, scene set up in California where they're supposed to be spending some time together. The parents are too busy going to their fundraiser to intervene, even though their son's in college, and he should know kind of better than, than this. Then we go to Montana because Michael's punishment for mistreating his little cousin is to provide free help to his aunt um, on her ranch because they're about to lose the ranch. So we have to see how Michael's going to save the day, come closer to his cousin Tommy, who's grieving the death of his father. And um, of course, he does save the day. They save the ranch. And it's just decom gold all around. Yeah, it's a very simple plot for this one. I, I kind of like how simple it is. And throughout the movie, I think it's just an easy rewatch. 
I want to go right into the most rewatchable scenes. And I want to start with the opening credits. And I think the opening credits of a lot of these films stand out. But I love how we start the movie in Montana with Tommy and Aunt Jules. And then immediately kind of cuts to Michael waking up. And you just see this alarm clock, which is such a weird alarm clock of just this woman's lips saying it's time to get up. It's time to get up, which is really strange. I don't think that existed at the time. Uh, and then it shows, you know, now in Michael's room in Beverly Hills, uh, he literally has like a full set of weights in the background. I don't know if you noticed this in his room. It's like literally something you would see at a gym. It's literally just a full weight rack, which is something I guess I wanted as a kid. I don't know. You see the fish tank. He's got like a CD player and speakers. He gets the wheatgrass smoothie from his housekeeper. Uh, just uh, ingrained us into, I guess, Beverly Hills, rich, wealthy culture. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Only things that Michael would have for sure. Yeah. Uh, the next one I had is now we're into the film a little bit. Tommy has come to visit LA and, you know, all he wants to do is go to Disneyland. That is all he wants to do while he's there, spend time with his cousin. And now they're finally set to go. And of course, the car cell phone rings. It's Gina. She has some reason to get Michael out of doing what he's supposed to do. And Michael drops Tommy off at Kitty Zone. And I love this scene. This might be my favorite of the movie. And he just, you know, he's signing the waiver and Tommy just turns around. There's like nursery rhyme music playing in the background. And he sees a bunch of like moms playing with babies in like the ball pen. I just love this because I think, you know, we all had that time in our lives when we would go to a place like this and then we age out of it, of course. Uh, but I just, I don't know, just seeing that scene, I think is the funniest scene in the movie. It's funny, but it's sad. It I feel like this was Michael's last chance to take him to Disneyland. You know, they've just had this talk in the car. Hey, I'm sorry, buddy. You know, Tommy says, I know girls mess with your head. Like it's, it's almost <laughs> going to be okay. And then it's not. So that's my, my only, my only critique of that scene. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I've got a couple of rewatchable ones myself. I think a nice contrast to that very unorthodox alarm clock is then when they're out at the ranch in Montana and, um, you know, Tommy encourages Michael to enjoy himself, watch some TV, and we find that this is all <laughs> sort of part of um, Tommy's little trick. So instead of waking up to the fancy mouth teeth alarm clock, um, Michael wakes up to Tommy ringing his triangle. So. That's definitely one of my favorite. Other than that, for sure, the wolf stampede yes. or the cow stampede on the wolf watching scene and um, Tommy finally giving Michael that hand carved whistle thing at the end. That was, that was sweet. I think that stampede is the lingering image of this movie for me anyway. I think that's the one where I kind of just, it takes me right back to this movie. That one and where he decides he wants to ride black. You know, the horse that's a little bit wild. You know, he kicks him, he doesn't like being kicked, and he gets flipped over, ends up in Goliath's bullpen, which is just a scary scene. We don't know what's gonna happen, and of course he's able to get out on time. This is a Disney movie, nothing's gonna really happen to him. And, uh, you know, Tommy could have killed him there. Yeah, that's pretty scary stuff. <laughs> uh, do you wanna crown one of these your winner? Which one was your favorite? Ooh. I'd have to say the finally Tommy handing Michael the whistle scene. I feel like that's finally the moment where they're truly able to, to bond and make things right, tie up some of those loose ends. I like this dichotomy between us. I, I can clearly tell that you're going to go more sentimental and I'm going to go, I guess, more on the comedy side. I love it. <laughs> For sure. Uh, let's get into what is age the best? What's the holds up today? And I want to start with Michael's diet. I think his diet is very 2020. Yeah. I think so. Uh, definitely not his leisure suit, but the, <laughs> the green 
movies, you know, it's, you know, that right now we're in quarantine, so everything's a little bit off kilter, but during normal life, I feel like you definitely see a lot of um, Michael's food choices out there on social media and in the forefront these days. Oh, yeah. I would definitely think he would be a vegan now in 2020. What do you think? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I thought aged well was this personal connection that we, we definitely see Michael on his cell phone a lot because that was starting to become a little bit more pervasive at that time, but nobody has their smartphones, you know, people actually have to talk to one another. This movie is very much personal relationship driven. So I think that that has aged well, because that's definitely something that people are craving nowadays, for sure. That's true. They're craving it, but I don't know if they're getting it. I still, I think people are tied yeah. to their cell phones, you know? <laughs> for sure. Uh, what about Michael interacting just with the ranch in general. I think this is how I would interact with a ranch. I'd be like, no, I don't want to get mud on my shoes. I don't want to get dirty, the smell. You know, I think people like me who grew up in the suburbs, grew up in California, New York, this is exactly how I would react to a ranch like this. Do you, you think you could last on a ranch for a month? I think I could. I mean, I grew up going to visit my grandparents in Tennessee twice a year. They didn't have a ranch, but there was definitely a lot of, you know, getting up and going to help out in the garden. I always really enjoyed that. So I know it's a little different. I'm not sure how I would do with hauling manure and things like that. <laughs> but I think as long as I got to have that nice breakfast in the morning and come home to a good shower, I'd be okay. Maybe if you got to use the tractor instead of that wheelbarrow to move that manure, that would have helped. Well, that would definitely help. <laughs> uh, what about the home theater? You know, I just, I don't know. As a kid, I always wanted this. As a huge movie and film buff, it was something where you see the giant screen, you got the popcorn machine, the candy. Uh, this is something that, all, that like all I wanted in life was to have enough money to get a, like a screening room like that. <laughs> yeah, that whole entertainment center set up, that was like the 90s, early 2000s yeah. kid dream to have that. That definitely, and still looking at it, I still feel like I would be very satisfied <laughs> if I had that in my home. Uh, what about an auction? I just love a good auction where you have like some guy talking a million miles an hour auctioning things. I guess this is why I love like storage wars, but I think that auction type has, you know, aged well in 2020. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> definitely creates some interest. It's again, it's sad. It's sentimental yeah. because they have to sell all their things, but that is a, a, an interesting little dose of realism to this film for sure. The last one I had is just uh, Tom Virtue, who's the dad from Even Stevens, has a little um, quick cameo as Michael's accountant, financial advisor. Whenever I see him, he was in, you know, Under Wraps at a very small part, but I just love seeing him on the screen. Yeah, Under Wraps, Read It and Weep as yeah. the dad in that film. It's going a little bit further in time. Yeah, that was always fun as a kid to even back then point out, okay, you're the dad from this show or this movie. So that still gives me a thrill to see him behind that desk. Oh, for sure. Did you have any others for what has aged the best or should we move on to what has aged the worst? I think we can move on <laughs> to the worst. What about uh, celebrating two week anniversaries? You know, I don't know if anybody actually does this. Of course, Gina gives Michael some, you know, really nice watch and then Michael's trying to search for something for her, but do people celebrate two week anniversaries anymore? No, I think it's a little excessive. <laughs> Yeah, so does that mean they're celebrating what four weeks next? Like, what's the what's the <laughs> interval of uh, celebrations there? I feel like at, at their maturity level, that you know maybe <laughs> I could stomach a one month anniversary, but the two weeks thing that that's not gonna that's not gonna work anymore. Uh, what about calling your dad daddy, which is something that I don't know when it, when I hear that it just comes like Parks and Rec. I don't know if you're a fan of that show, but like Mona Lisa and John Ralphio who just scream like daddy money, please like that kind of just brings me back to that show. But just 
telling other people and calling your own dad daddy in front of others just comes off creepy. It's a little weird. I mean, it, it definitely has that, uh, I don't know, that inkling that you're seeking money attached to hearing that when you're listening to those discussions in the film. Um, what about Arlene when uh, Michael forgets Tommy? I tried your car phone. What about that? That was pretty good. That was good. I know. <laughs> yeah, that whole cell phone in the car seat. Like, I don't know. It really just dates it back to the 90s. Yeah. Uh, one other I had is just Gina's line to Michael when he, sa- when he sees a shooting star in Montana and she just tells him, don't get all dances with wolves with me. And I have to admit mm-hmm. that I've never seen Dances with Wolves. This is a four-hour movie from 1990. <laughs> it's tough to get myself to watch a movie like that. You know, she even says she's going to be spending time in Aspen with Kevin Costner, who starred in that movie. So a little bit of a connection there. But I don't think this, I don't know, this line I don't think has aged well in 2020. I don't think people nowadays know, know of that movie. No, I had to look it up. It's definitely not something that I've seen. So I feel like that one falls a little flat nowadays. Oh, yeah. The last one I had is just uh, pyramid schemes. You know, Michael's trying to create this pyramid scheme with Mule and Twister. And not to say that pyramid schemes haven't aged well, but that reference went right over my head as a kid. I had no idea what a pyramid scheme was. And I think kids watching it today wouldn't know either. Yeah, and even watching it as an adult, it doesn't really add any like entertainment value. Yeah. It's not like the fun joke that goes over your head as a kid that you rewatch for sure. Um, I had one more. I thought that the um, comment Michael makes about Tommy's town being Boresville, USA, <laughs> that kind of reminds me of um, that uh, late 90s, early 2000s trend of saying dot com for kind of a derogatory remark. Like uh, on Lizzie McGuire, Kate saying, what's your email, Lizzie? Lizzie at biggiantloser.com. Mooresville <laughs> kind of gets that same tone for me. So I don't think that's aged great. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, those, uh, you know, those uh, burns back in the day, I don't think people use those anymore. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, let's move on to, uh, you know, which actor, I guess there really is only two actors here. Would you have thought would have made it big when you saw this movie back then? And we have Joey Lawrence and of course, Andrew Lawrence you know, of course, brothers in real life playing cousins in this movie, which one of them would you have thought would have had the longer career? Honestly, probably Andy, just because he really sort of became like one of the forefront faces of the DCOM. Whereas, you know, it seems like Joey, if you, if you only know one of the Lawrence brothers, I don't know. I don't know. It depends if you're a Boy Meets World fan and you watched the whole thing, you know, Matt. So I don't know. Definitely would say Andy though. What about you? Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, it's a shame because I think Joey was a little bit older, right, at this time. Like, it was perfectly set up for Andy to have the career. He was also in The Other Me. He kind of went on this Disney trajectory in recess. And I think he had the, I guess, the longest runway in terms of what his career could be. Joey, I think, was already in his 20s at this time. You know, I think for me, he personified, like, as a, as a guy, as a kid growing up, what I would aspire to be, even though he's kind of loathsome in this movie, you don't want to want to be him, but you see him driving the Porsche. He seems to have all the material possessions. He's got the hot girlfriend. I don't know. It was something that I think a lot of wish fulfillment there for a lot of probably young men growing up. But at the end of the day, you realize, especially watching it back, you're like, this guy's an asshole. Like you would not want to be him. Maybe he learned something at the end, but in the beginning of the movie, he is not someone to look up to. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I would give it to Andy as well. Uh, what about, what was the most Disney moment of the movie? What were we supposed to learn from Horse Sense? Hmm. I think that the the scene 
sort of getting towards the end where uh, Michael first learns that they're going to lose the ranch. I think that that's a, a pretty Disney scene where, um, you know, the, the rancher's saying, hey, look, you've gotten everything you've ever wanted, and these guys are about to lose everything they have. I think that's kind of a classic decom, you know, be grateful for what you have. Now go help somebody else who's going through a tough time for sure. Yeah, it's tough to relate to someone who has this trust fund, who's growing up. And the biggest, I guess the whole center of the movie is that he's got to help his, you know, cousin and aunt save this ranch or just work on the ranch in order to save his trip to Europe in the French Riviera. It's just something that no one could possibly relate to growing up. Yeah, definitely not. And I think that's why Twister kind of leveling with him and, and saying, hey, wake up, this is what's happening. I think that's sort of what's finally sets off him taking action to try to change his ways a little bit and help out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's, you know, stepping into someone else's shoes, you know, the value of a hard day's work. Uh, it wasn't about Montana property law and land trust, right? That wasn't where we we're supposed to take away from this. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the coolest parent award. And I have to give you your props because when we broke down Cadet Kelly last week, our guest Cora referenced the article that you wrote for Screen Rant on the best and worst decom parents. And Kelly's parents were definitely one of the worst duos. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to give you your props there. Uh, but going into this movie, we really have three or four choices. We have Susan Walters, who of course plays Tommy's mom, Jules. We have Leanne Hunley, who plays J.C. Woods, Michael's mom, and Robin Thomas, who plays Glenn Woods, Michael's dad. And if you want to throw in Arlene, the housekeeper, you're welcome to do so. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the obvious choice would be Jules, but I also really like Michael's mom, J.C. You know, she is a little bit caught up in, in her fundraiser and all that, but she genuinely cares that her son is being a jerk. You know, she doesn't see how exactly Tommy is broken up every, over everything, but she can tell something's a little off. And then when she finds out how uh, Michael treated him, she's very upset. So I think that says a lot about her character. Maybe would have liked to see a little bit more from her throughout the movie. Um, and Arlene is a close second because she really treats Tommy, um, you know, as her own son when things are really going rough for him on his visit. Oh, yeah. I love Arlene's character throughout the movie. She's kind of the voice of reason to everyone in the film. Um, but you're right. I think this movie actually has good parental figures, which is kind of rare for these decoms. And both, you know, Michael's mom and dad in the movie, while they aren't there when Tommy visits, which is just kind of strange, couldn't they have organized this around the fundraiser where he visits to spend time with his aunt and uncle? They just immediately abandon him. And of course, this is a plot point for the movie. So he's forced to hang out with Michael. Um, but it just seems a little weird. But yeah, I think Jules is kind of a really matriarchal character in the film. The only downside, I guess, is she's a little too stubborn. She refuses to accept any money or help. But at the end of the day, you have to admire that. You know, she wants to do it on her own. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's move on to uh, some of these nitpicks here. And I do have a few. <laughs> yeah, me too. You first. Okay. Uh, I want to start with, uh, and this is, you know, as a former law student, I have to say, what college class is teaching you about land trusts, property deeds, and mortgages and mergers, it just seems like this is a law school class. I didn't even learn this in law school. What class is teaching you this? <laughs> Definitely not mine. And furthermore, how are you going to be able to save a ranch if you only made a D on your paper? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I don't know why he's even flipping through that. There's no good useful information in that paper. <laughs> oh. 
uh, I want to talk about the whistle that you mentioned that, you know, Tommy carved for Michael. You know, he's trying to wait the whole movie to give it to him. Even when he first lands in LA, he's trying to give it to him, but he won't let him talk. But my question is, would anyone want that whistle? It just seems like some, I don't know, crappy thing some kid made. I don't care that he got it at a reunion a few years ago. Is that something that anyone cares about? <laughs> I mean, I don't have kids yet, but I feel like if somebody made that for me and gave it to me with love, then yes, I would, I would be excited. I could already tell, Allison, you love a good homemade gift. I, I do. I do. <laughs> I, could, I could show you some, but you know, it's for another time. <laughs> uh, what about the small plane, you know, that brings Michael to Montana. Is that a private jet? Is that commercial? It just seems like he's the only one flying in it. So what is the deal with that uh, aircraft there? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't put too much thought into that specifically. <laughs> well, I don't know. What kind of aircraft would it be for Matt Lawrence to walk right by it, make yes. a cameo and stare at his older brother? So I guess it's like, if it, if it is private, it's still landed in a, some type of public place. I don't know. <laughs> uh, can the cell phone ring cause a, you know, a stampede like that? I don't know enough about, you know, cattle and horses and stuff, but could that really cause and set off a whole stampede? I don't know. I mean, I feel like Michael just naturally repels animals. So they're smart. They're not stupid. I think maybe <laughs> they got kind of a sense of what they were dealing with. They hear that little glimmer of the cell phone ringing and they're gone. Uh, did you have any other nitpicks? Yeah, I, I sure did. So, uh, you know, in, in California, in Beverly Hills, Michael never needed that much sleep. You know, he was always off with Gina, even when Tommy is just out by the pool by himself into the night or up watching movies. Michael's in the room talking to Gina on the phone. So why is it that he gets out to Montana? Now, all of a sudden, he needs all this sleep. You know, he wakes yeah. up groggy for his first day of helping and that's just a he falls asleep while like Jules is bearing her soul to him on the front porch and looking at you know God's sunset or something that doesn't it just doesn't work and um if I can bleed over into jumping ship a little bit a, a huge nitpick I have is that Michael doesn't really change enough in between the these two movies he's kind of He's still, he, I don't know, he's a more considerate person, but he's still Michael at the end of the day, you know what I mean? And I think that's a great point. You know, as much as these characters change, I think it's more accurate to probably real life where you're not making drastic changes, especially in your 20s, like that maybe, but I feel like it's just those subtle changes being a little more empathetic, you know, a little more genuine to your family. But you're right, that is a kind of a big nitpick between poor sense and jumping ship. Okay, let's move on to uh, best quote here. And I only have a few. I want to start with, uh, this is going all the way to the end of the movie now. And, you know, Michael remembers the land trust. And he's like, okay, there's that paper I wrote about it. He calls his dad up. He's like, dad, flip through the fifth or sixth page of it. That's where I talk about land trust. And his dad just goes, it's only four pages long. So clearly this is just showing what a terrible student he is. You shouldn't take anything in that paper as true. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, mine is, I've got two words. French Riviera, <laughs> yes. pretty iconic because Tommy's decided, and I think this is a little bit of a turf thing. You know, he was in Michael's home and he tried to be really cool about things even when he was mistreated. Now Michael's on Tommy's land and he's got to 
go with what Tommy does. So that's again, some of these little tricks that like little snippet of blackmail I thought was really satisfying. Oh yeah. And I love Michael's response that he's like, I can't believe I'm being blackmailed by an 11 year old kid. Like, it's just like, he can't believe he's in this predicament. Uh, you mentioned Tommy's line to Michael early on in the movie where he says, you know, chicks can mess with your head sometimes. I do love that yeah. line. And the other one I had is just when Michael first comes down to breakfast in Montana that first that first morning there, and he says, "You wouldn't happen to have any, uh, you know, turkey bacon, <laughs> would you?" And Twister just goes, "Bacon comes from pig, son, not turkey." And as someone who loves bacon myself, don't give me any of that turkey shit. <laughs> I'm with you. The turkey stuff is not my favorite. That, and again, the, the breakfast scene, that's when we first get this little phrase from Michael about how he needs to get acclimated. So Tommy then turns that around on, that's a pretty good quote too, feeling acclimated yet. You know, I feel like I could use that one on somebody or, or myself. Yeah, I love how Tommy's just like, what does being acclimated even mean? Like, it's just something you say when you go somewhere, but I guess that it's true, right? What does that really mean? You're just like, just chilling for a day? I don't even know. <laughs> Still, I'm watching the satellite TV. <laughs> Hold on, Allison. Give me a minute to tell my listeners about Simply Safe Home Security, the number one home security system on the market. I live in Los Angeles. I don't know when I'll ever own a home here in LA. Real estate prices are through the roof. Like most millennials, I'll probably be renting for the next 25 years. But if I did own a home, I'd be using Simply Safe Home Security. It was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24 7 order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Head to simplysafe.com slash team and get free shipping and a 60 day money back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. And now back to the show. Uh, let's move into some uh, unanswerable questions here. And I want to start with, is Gina the worst of these DCOM girlfriends? Is she absolutely like the worst like figure we have seen represent that girlfriend or boyfriend role? Definitely one of the worst. I mean, there's definitely some bad boyfriends and girlfriends and then the DCOMs and the shows, but she's definitely up there. Oh yeah. She is just a complete, it seems like a brat who's just like Michael, just spoiled, gets whatever she wants, never gets told no to. And she's just like, why won't you talk to me? I don't care what's going on in your life. There's a stampede coming, you know? And I just, I don't know. I love that scene where he's running and she was like, I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And he's just like trying to figure out how to escape. Uh, what about who got it worse? Did Tommy get it worse going to LA and not having, you know, Michael to hang out with and getting stuck at the kitty zone or Michael have it worse going to Montana and Tommy's just, you know, tricking him at every step. You know, he tells, you know, he to stay up as long as you want. You know, he ends up falling in the manure. He doesn't tell him where the tractors are, where the truck is to put the lumber in. Who do you think got it worse? I really feel like Tommy gets it worse. Really? You know, Michael, Michael's a big boy. He can handle falling into some cow poop. You know, he'll be okay. <laughs> but Tommy, he specifically says, you know, can we go to the ocean? I've never, I've never seen the beach. And I want to go to Disneyland. Like this is the kids one weekend to escape like the horrible circumstances of his life. And Michael just takes it away from him. I think that that's the worst. I think we might like differ a little bit in this opinion though. <laughs> I think this goes back to just the, you know, the sentimental nature of the movie that keeps, I think, driving you home to it. And I, you're right. You know, Tommy never seeing the ocean. He only gets a, you know, a week in LA or however many days he's there. And he, you know, of course he needs to be back on the ranch. That's where his mom really needs their help. And he just takes a few days to see his cousin who he hasn't seen since the reunion. They had a great time there. 
But for me, it's Michael going to Montana. Like, he really gets screwed there. He really, like, oh, if I had to be in that situation where, okay, dump all this manure in this truck, here's your wheelbarrow, and there's a tractor right, right by the side of the house, of course, with the truck, he just makes him do everything twice. He's picking on him. He could have killed him with Goliath, the bull there. He tells him which horse. He's like, okay, you want black. Oh, what other name do we call him? We call him Lightning, which I probably should have mentioned, but I don't tell you anything because I'm just trying to fuck with you. It's just, I don't know. But uh, I'm glad we differ there because I think we have on guests who just, like, we kind of have an agreement of opinions there. So I'm glad we get some diversity here. <laughs> and also, imagine if Michael had decided just to keep going his own way and not you know, step up and help with the deed and all of that stuff. He still would have gotten to go to the French Riviera. That's true. So, you know, he spent a month of his life in some real honest, hard work, and he still ultimately gets what he wanted at the end. That's, that's another, I guess that's more of a nitpick. No, you're right. And Tommy just has to keep working on that farm forever. So, uh, yeah, you know, Michael's definitely got a, a pretty sweet life that he should uh, appreciate. Uh, what about, uh, why would Tommy, I mentioned this earlier, why would Tommy come out to LA when his aunt and uncle aren't even there couldn't he pick the different week it just seems very weird it does seem weird oh and the mom says that they've been committed for this fundraiser for a long time so yeah. i'm feeling like this is just the two sisters jc and jules there was somebody got their wires crossed you know tommy's a kid he does the same thing every day on the ranch so it's like on their side i'm not sure why it had to be like these specific days but on the parent side, how long have you really had this fundraiser booked? Could you not have moved a couple things around or maybe just one of you go, you know? Yeah, if this had been on the books for so long, he just told they could have just told Tommy, hey, we have this fundraiser. Can you come a different weekend? It just, I don't know. That's what yeah. kind of gives me some, uh, some nicks on, uh, you know, choosing them as parents that you would have wanted. Uh, what about, did Michael, <laughs> this goes to a character question for Michael. Did he write down the wrong insurance information and contact info on purpose? I don't know. I'm going to lean towards yes, but I also watched a similar scene play out. I don't know if you um, are familiar with the early Disney Channel original series in a heartbeat, but um, I, I did a YouTube binge of that a few weeks ago. And there's another character who does this. I'm not sure what it was about that storyline that just hit it for him in the late 90s. But I think it's I think he might have given the wrong information on purpose. I don't know. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not so sure. Again, yeah, you know, you want to be a little empathetic towards him, but I actually think he may have written down the wrong info, hoping, like everything in his life, he could just get out of it unscathed. And I'm just so happy that old woman had the eyesight to be able to spot the, you know, a license plate number and track him down. Yeah, and, and that's definitely something I would even put in the kind of not age super well category. You know, it's like a car accident's a serious thing. Yeah. I've been in one before. It's just, it's not something to joke about. I feel like that portrayal could have been handled a lot better if they really wanted to include that as part of his characterization. I agree. Uh, this is a little bit of a scandalous one. Do you think Jules was hooking up with Mule or Twister on that ranch? What do you think? I know this is exactly why you came on the podcast to really break this down with me. <laughs> I feel like if it was either one of them, it was Mule. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna comment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is probably my favorite one of the film. Uh, when Tommy and Michael are in the truck hanging out while Jules goes into the bank, when Michael first arrives in Montana, they're both holding up soda cups from Dairy Freeze, which is the same fast food place featured in the film. Under Wraps, which Greg Beeman also directed. 
So is this supposed to be evidence? Maybe there were just props hanging around that they could use, but is this evidence of a greater Disney Channel original movie universe here? I think so, because when Michael introduces Tommy to the big screen, Brink is on. Yep. So, boom, there we go. <laughs> I think so. I think there's something to this. You know, I would like to think that there's a little bit of an interweb and that it's all connected. You know, we had ZoogDisney.com. We had the Zether. Everything's connected by the internet. So I think there's a deeper thing going on here, Jordan. I'm really glad we could put our conspiracy hats on that one. And uh, yeah, I agree. But of course, if Brink is playing on the screen, is that to assume that Brink maybe is a documentary in this world that they're showing in? Is it a, you know, is it a movie within the world that, you know, a separate from the DCOMs? It's kind of weird when you have it actually on the screen itself. It's not just some guys in Venice in the skate park just hanging out, right? Right. How can you watch a DCOM when you're in a DCOM? Exactly. Oh man. Now we're talking some Christopher Nolan stuff. I don't even know. Now I'm getting all turned away and you know, this is like inception going on. So, uh, did you have meta? <laughs> yeah, really meta here. Uh, did you have any other unanswerable questions before we move on to some internet research? No, that, that question about Brink and the, the connections there, that was my unanswerable question. So good job. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I think we actually touched on all the half-ass internet research here. We have, you know, of course, as you mentioned, oh, I'm glad then. Oh, no, we haven't. <laughs> oh, no, <we> have <laughs> this is why you're on, Allison. I love it. Uh, we touched on, I guess I'll touch on the ones that we have covered, and then you can take it from there. We talked about how Matthew Lawrence had a nice cameo here. I talked to the writers about this, and he said, of course, you know, Matthew visited set, and they just threw him in, you know, as a quick cameo scene. It's kind of a weird scene because Matthew just kind of goes up to him looks at his boots and walks away, doesn't even say a line, which is kind of strange. I thought they could have given him something. Well, it's, it's also weird in the context that Matthew does have an actual character in Jumping Ship. So that messes with my mind a little bit too. I definitely asked the writers about that. Whether, uh, is there a continuity error here? Or are we supposed to assume that, uh, you know, Matthew in that role was the ship captain from Jumping Ship? So I won't spoil that interview, but I definitely go into it. Uh, what about, you know, of great. course, you know, these are all three brothers in real life. Matthew, Andy, and Joey. Uh, the LA scenes were actually shot in Santa Monica and the Montana scenes, I believe were actually filmed on the Disney ranch. Um, and I think the only one I had other than that was uh, the one you mentioned, just Brink playing in the background during the, you know, the screening room, having it on another movie that Greg Beeman directed. So I'm gonna turn it over to you. What other research did you find? Well, first, can you tell me more about this Disney ranch? I'm intrigued. <laughs> so Disney basically owned a ranch. I'm not sure if they still do, they used to shoot and build sets there to kind of mimic other areas, obviously not just their, you know, their lot in Burbank, for example, there's only so much you could shoot there, but having the mountains as a background, they own this ranch. Again, I'm curious if they still own it, but this movie was shot on the Disney ranch. It really does look wow. like Montana. It does. Well, that's a good bit of trivia. Well, and on that note, I wasn't going to include this, but I did rewatch them just the first couple minutes of jumping ship again. And uh, it looks like a direct continuation of Horse Sense, except that, of course, Andy's a couple years older. So that's kind of interesting about the ranch. Other than that, just some kind of data here. I saw that 3.2 million people watched the premiere of this film and that it was the most watched in its time slot. And it actually got a fair bit of press. So that was probably the most interesting thing that I found in some archives that um, the weekend it premiered, following that, you had a lot of other opportunities to see it. I mean, I'm not sure if I saw it that first weekend, I was five years old, but as I told you earlier this week, this is the first DCOM I really remember watching. So I think, you know, there's a good chance 
If you missed it on the Friday night or Saturday night showing, you could see it on Sunday matinee, Monday, Wednesday night, Friday matinee and evening showing. And then even towards the end of November, because this premiered on like November 20th, by the 30th, it's still in the newspaper. They're gonna show it after Smart Guy. They're gonna show it later that night before Zorro. So just the fact that this was covered by so many local outlets and um, that kids had so many opportunities to see this one, I think that says a lot about what um, you know Disney felt about it, what they believed in the, the you know potential of the movie. It's funny that you say that because I think you're absolutely right. This is, and I think we're two years apart. I was seven years old when Horse Sense premiered, and this is the first okay. one I remember as well. And I think that's just because yeah. the amount of reruns of this movie. And again, it's probably not as popular as, you know, Smart House or Xenon or Johnny Tsunami. But yet, I feel like everyone around this time remembers Horse Sense. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. And, you know, this is sort of at the beginning of Disney starting to plug into a little bit more internet engagement. So who knows? I don't even know what was going on, uh, you know, in online communities about it for kids. Yeah. And I think it's, I guess we'll get to this when we cover, you know, sequels and prequels. But it was the weirdest one to get a sequel, you know, because you had Halloween Town, you know, with their three movies. You had all these other, you know, Johnny Tsunami was a huge success. Of course, they were going to give that one a sequel. This one just seemed like an odd one to give a sequel to. Yeah, I agree. I even saw another article from Variety in 2001 when Jumping Ship was coming out. It called it a quasi-sequel. I think that's a good way to put it. You know, like I said, that beginning part maps on almost just like a direct continuation but then there's, Michael's still, as I said, Michael, and um, him and Tommy are definitely forging a better relationship. But beyond that, Jumping Ship is just something else entirely. <laughs> I know, they took it such a weird place. Like, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Uh, let's move on to some uh, Apex Mountain here. And I wanna start with uh, Joey Lawrence as Michael Woods. I think I was first introduced with him in Brotherly Love. I don't know if you watched that show as a kid. It was one of my favorites. It really was ahead of its time, only lasted two seasons. I really wished it would have continued. Of course, we see Jumping Ship, the sequel, uh, Melissa and Joey, which is probably the biggest thing he's done, 104 episodes with Melissa Joan Hart, who was also a huge star at the time. Uh, this is just a weird one. You know, he played Joe Longo on Melissa and Joey and Joey Ramone on Brotherly Love. Did he always just have to play his name? Was that too difficult for him to learn a new character name? Yeah, that's interesting. And also, sometimes he's credited as Joey, yeah. sometimes as Joseph. So, so many Joey questions. So what do you think out of all these? What do you think his apex was? It's tough to say. I mean, I'm like you. I, I definitely remember being very young watching Brotherly Love. You know, I wish there was a place to stream it. Yeah. I've got to try to do a little bit of research on that. So I feel like that might have to be it. People still have nostalgia for that. I, I think that that might be my vote. I know Melissa, Melissa and Joey did well, but I think people always kind of go back to that first thing they recognize you from. I would agree. I think it was brotherly love. I think a lot of people may disagree with us and say Melissa and Joey, but for me at that time, at that age, I was watching brotherly love regularly. I really was not a huge fan of Melissa and Joey. That really wasn't for me. Gotcha. Uh, let's move on to, of course, his brother, Andrew Lawrence, who plays Tommy Biggs. He was in a few other Disney Channel original movies. He was in The Other Me, where, of course, he clones himself. He was in Going to the Mat. And I think most famously, The Recess, you know, Recess, The Recess movies as 
the main guy, TJ Detweiler, one of my, I don't know how you feel about recess. That was one of my all time favorites. So I was even watching it the other night on Disney plus I was going down a deep dive. I'm like, Oh great. Here's my next few weeks. Just going through all the recess episodes. (laughs) Um, But he was in brotherly love, obviously. But what do you think? I have to be honest. I was not a huge recess fan, not a huge Doug Pepper and Hey Arnold fan. Oh, you're I should killing me. I, should, <laughs> I know. I, I should give it all a, a, a chance for sure. But I, well, I don't know. Andy, it's tough to say. I did notice that he, he did that arc on Hawaii Five O. I feel like if we're looking at the whole scope of things, that's probably a, a good place for Apex Mountain to go. I mean, you're just the Disney stuff. It was crazy. I found some footage on YouTube. He was like the host of this giant sweepstakes commercial on Disney Channel. They really had him as like the face of the network, giving away a stereo, a year's supply of cookies. You know, I wish I had known Andy Lawrence. (laughs) I'm going to give it to Recess. But again, you only know his voice. So I don't think a lot of people connected. I know I didn't with him, the actor, with TJ Detweiler, the voice of Recess. So I think there's a lot of ways you could go here, but I'm going to give it to Recess personally. I love that show. Uh, what about Robin Thomas as Michael's dad, Glenn Woods? And I, for some reason, I did not pick up that he was Calabar from Halloween Town. I didn't either. You know, not when I was young, yeah. not when I did the first rewatch a month ago. It wasn't until like I was doing some research and stuff that I even was like pointed to, to that fact. I think it's just like the the two characters really don't look alike. Yeah. They're in totally different settings. And huge nitpick, he does not reprise his role in Jumping Ship. There is another guy playing the dad. I know, sad. But everyone knows Halloween Town. Everyone loves those movies. So I think it's got to be Halloween Town 1 and 2. <laughs> I would agree. And he's gone on to have a huge career. He was in The Contender. He was in Summer School, About Last Night. Um, what else? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Transparent, Nip Tuck, 24, Pacific Rim. The guy has a long acting career, but for me, he's always going to be Calabar from Halloween Town. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, what about Susan Walters as Jules? And she looks great in this movie. I just have to say, she, she always looks great, but she looks great in this. Um, I have to give some love to some soap operas here. Young and the Restless, 78 episodes. Uh, what else? Seinfeld, Melrose Place, you know, Jumping Ship, Teen Wolf. The Vampire Diary. She's really had some of her biggest roles later in life, which is surprising. And I hope, you know, in a good way for, you know, older female actors, she's really had some nice roles. Yeah, I, I would agree. I was very impressed by all those Young and the Restless episodes. So I think that'd probably be what I would choose for the Apex Mountain. I agree. Uh, the last one I had is just the Hayes brothers, you know, are going to come on the podcast later this week, Chad and Carrie, and they have a very interesting dichotomy of their career. Of course, doing horse sense in Jumping Ship, and then, you know, as a natural transition to The Conjuring and House of Wax and producing Annabelle, really goes hand in hand with these DCOMs and then the horror films. The Conjuring grows $320 million. The Conjuring 2 also grows $320 million. And they're also set to write the new Die Hard prequel, McLean, with Bruce Willis, which I was really excited to talk to them about. So their career has kind of gone in a completely different direction. They kind of described Horse Sense of Jumping Ship as something that they wanted to be able to show their kids. You know, these horror films weren't really appropriate and they wanted something for them. So what would you say their apex is? I think it has to be The Conjuring. Oh gosh, no, it's, <laughs> it's definitely Horse Sense and Jumping Ship. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kid, so I'm just, I, can't, I can't see the horror films. Although, j- Jumping Ship, I'm sure that gave them a little bit more of a thrill because there was more of a danger element yeah. to that. It, this whole thing really blows my mind. It's kind of like when you see a 
decom actor actress in like a dirty movie years later and you're kind of scarred a little bit it's kind of like what what's happening for me here yeah i do apologize on my interview with them because i told them i have not seen any of your other work i cannot stand horror movies i just so scared yeah. i cannot <laughs> do it so i felt terrible but i usually pride myself on my research with these guests i couldn't do it i couldn't sit down and watch the conjuring there's no way yeah, I wouldn't have watched it either. <laughs> uh, let's move on to who won the movie. And in your opinion, Allison, who won Horse Sense? I think you know who I think won. <laughs> and that is Tommy Biggs. Tommy Biggs. I just can't get enough of late 90s, early 2000s Andy Lawrence. I think he's just a stand-up kid. He's been through a lot. You know, he's got the great quotes. He was made for this ranch life. He shows maturity, except for those blackmail moments. I'll disregard those. <laughs> And, um, you know, I just, I think that he really adds a lot to the overall tone of the movie, the relationship between him and Joey. It just uh, wouldn't be the same with two other brothers, for sure. And again, I have to disagree with you. I'm going to have to go with uh, Mikey Woods, Joey Lawrence. He saves the ranch. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I really just wanted that room. I wanted the screening room. I want the wheatgrass shots. I want it all. I want the Beverly Hills mansion. Um, but he saves the ranch, Allison. You can't, like, he really saves the movie here that the paper that he gets really saved the day. No comment. <laughs> uh, let's move on here to uh, where does this movie rank all time in the Disney Channel original movie universe? And I'm going to reference the article that Vulture published on May 4th, the complete ranking of the DCOMs. And they had Horse Sense 47th and Jumping Ship 90th. Do you think that's a fair assessment of these films? No, I don't. I mean, Jumping Ship, it, it's not the best, but it's definitely not 90th either. Like if you're looking for an action decom, this is one of the few where you're really going to get that, uh, that, that sense you're looking for. I'm not quite sure. Let me think about where I'd place that one. But Horse Sense, I wrote down that is totally at least in my top five. Yeah. It's just, it's one of the most rewatchable ones years later. You know, a lot of the, the themes, as we've mentioned, hold up. I think that, you know, many of the, the post-2006 movies, as you talk about sometimes on the podcast, they just, they're a far cry from this as far as the emotion and the depth is concerned. So I'm not even sure what movie I would put before Horse Sense. I've, I've got to say, it's, it's in the top five. Oh, yeah. It's always going to have a special place in my heart. And I have to reference an article that you wrote. You had Horse Sense ranked six by nostalgia factor so yeah i had to i had to call that back for you i feel like maybe me and you need to collaborate here and come up with a definitive list of these movies maybe before 06 and rank them all i don't know i agree i think that definitely needs to happen because i yeah i have to agree with you i think horse sense i'd have to throw it up there with you know johnny tsunami brink smart house trying to think alley cat strike i just have a personal affinity for i love that movie but it's uh it's definitely top 10 there's no way you could put it 47th and I feel like the people that write these articles, maybe we're a little bit older. You know, maybe, maybe High School Musical was the first one they remember. You know, so now they're going back right. watching these. I don't know. I guess it's the same way I feel towards like Camp Rock. Like I don't, I don't care for Camp Rock. I don't care for those older musical type of movies. I much prefer the 99 yeah. movies. Yeah, I was, like I told you, I was still watching those, but it's definitely a, like a different part of my life. But what, what did I say was number one? I'm, I'm curious. I didn't write that down, honestly. I think. I'll have to look. Yeah. Probably said like Cadet Kelly. Or it something. was Cadet Kelly. I think it was Cadet Kelly. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Let's move on to, you know, could this be remade, sequel, prequel? I know we got the sequel in 2001, Jumping Ship, which of course featured the third Lawrence brother, Matthew, in a much more prominent role. 
But would you want to see, I don't know, maybe a prequel of Tommy's dad accumulating debt of the ranch? Would you want to see a sequel maybe focused on, you know, land trust in the bank's perspective on foreclosing on all of these properties and, you know, maybe like a big short type of movie? Like, what would you like to see in this universe? I'm not sure if the land trust thing would interest me, but that doesn't get my goat. And the, the Tommy thing, you know, well, what happens with like the potential new stepdad guy who we see at the beginning of Jumping Ship? I don't think you're quite ready for my um, sequel remake idea, but here it is. Okay. So thanks to some of the, the listening and, and reading I did in my half-ass internet <laughs> research, it was brought to my attention that um, there was a little bit of an interest in these Westerns for kids at this time. So we, um, we get the Olsen twins to come out of retirement Ooh. to suspend your disbelief. And they're out of retirement, they're acting again. And this is a hybrid film with the Olsons and all of the Lawrence brothers. And it's called How the West Was Horse Sense. Oh. So we sort of put How the West Was Fun with Horse Sense uh, Joey and Mary Kate are romantically involved, as are Andy and Ashley. So do with that what you will. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not quite sure um, where exactly Matt's involvement is in this, but he's a pretty cool dude, as you can see on his Instagram. He's interested in um, in reptiles and, and pets. So I'm thinking that his involvement out there in nature has something to do with that. I don't know, he could recreate that cameo scene if we disregard his role in jumping ship. Anyway, whatever happens to him, Joey and Andy have a double wedding with Mary Kate Nashley. Oh my That's God. what happens. I love the thought that you put into this, Allison. It's incredible. I wish I brought that up to the writers on my interview with them. I would have loved to pitch oh, them the, the concept. Maybe we could throw Lindsay Lohan in there, do a Freaky Friday type <laughs> thing. Maybe she switches bodies with the Olsen twins. I don't know. Uh, you know, we could have just really compiled a lot of these uh, 90s, 2000s movies together. It's starting to look like a horror film, so maybe they would write it. You're right. Absolutely. Right up their alley. Uh, I asked all my guests who come on the podcast, did this movie live up? To how you remembered it as a kid and for you did horse sense live up to it when you watched it at seven eight nine years old yeah uh, i think that it lived up more on the first rewatch because i did one a month ago and then i did one last night so it's like it's definitely not a movie i feel like i want to watch you know five more <laughs> times this year but that, that thrill of seeing it for the first time in probably 15 or 20 years was pretty great uh just the, the scenery is beautiful you know, even though the, the quality of the films on Disney Plus still looks like we're watching them on our taped video cassettes, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. That just ups the nostalgia factor for me. You know, that's why we have Disney Plus. That's why we watch these DCOMs in our 20s in the first place. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's solid. I would agree with you. I think Horse Sense actually holds up well to a second viewing. Not all these DCOMs hold up well. And I think it adds a special place for me. I grew up in Florida when I was watching these as a kid. But now that I live in Los Angeles, oh my God, now that I live in Los Angeles, it adds something now seeing Beverly Hills and Santa Monica. I'm like, oh, I recognize that street. Oh, I recognize that area. So I kind of think it adds something for me. I've never been to Montana. Would love to go someday. But uh, I would agree. I think this one, we just did the ultimate Christmas present, which really did not hold up very well on my second viewing, I have to admit. But this one actually does. Yeah, definitely. Great cast, great scenery pretty good story. So yeah. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the Relentables podcast. I know a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago at this point when you reached out to me, I'm so glad we were able to make it happen. 
Yeah, me too. I, I definitely think we need to get that uh, DCOM def true definitive ranking going. I know that based on this conversation, you and I will probably butt heads on that list a little bit, but we'll work it out. It'll be great. I think it'll be a mix of your, uh, you know, sentimentality and what these movies are really going for and me just looking for, you know, stupid comedy. Yeah, I think so. You need both, you know, because these movies really grab you. They take you on a journey. Even if it's like a really terrible one, you're still going to feel something. So you need that comedic relief in there somewhere. Oh, for sure. If I had to ask, you know, if I just had asked you, which decom would you want to have covered? I know we covered a bunch so far, so maybe that kind of eliminated some movies. What would have been your first choice? I don't know. I mean, there, as I wrote in the article, there's definitely part of me that leans towards Cadet Kelly. You know, that's just, it was one that I watched over and over again. We did tape it along with all of the Lizzie McGuire marathons that we taped. So uh, I don't know, as I told you, I had a sister who um, she's about five years younger than me. So we're both very nostalgic for these films, but it's hard to say because I have this long span of watching them, but it's definitely the early ones. I guess if I had to pick one, it's probably Cadet Kelly. That's a good choice. That's a great choice. Uh, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jordan. It was great to talk with you today. I would like to thank my guest, Allison, for coming on the podcast. As I mentioned, next week, we're going to be joined by the writers of Horse Sense, Chad and Carrie Hayes. These were identical twin brothers, very difficult to tell apart. It really made for a challenging interview, but I think it was one of the best ones we've ever done. Stay tuned for that. I want to give a quick shout out to my boy, Chris McMahon, who came on to break down Johnny Tsunami with me. He got engaged this past weekend. Shout out, Chris. Hopefully, we could celebrate in person sometime soon. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. Until next time. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.